every living being wants the exact same thing as we want, which is to thrive, to love. Isn't that so? Welcome to Unsung Leaders, a weekly showcase of behind-the-scenes innovators who you may not be familiar with. These are team players who create workable solutions for society, people who do great things without needing to steal the spotlight. So come on, society, let's set down our selfie sticks and achieve great things. Together. So one thing that struck me about Ursula, and you could feel it, it was visceral, the kindness uh, in her voice and the kindness in her story and the pursuit of wanting to connect on that frequency of kindness. Uh, And I believe, uh, and I find it in my practice, that animals are a great way to do that. And here, um, it was almost a story about she didn't rescue the dog that she met in Peru that day, but the dog rescued her and gave her purpose, gave her connection and clarity back. So I think it's a fascinating interview, and I hope uh, our listeners enjoy it. Man, you can learn so much from a dog. I um, I always tell my clients that uh, dogs are like furry life coaches because they're so in the moment. They don't overthink things. They don't project out into the future or worry about the past. They're just right there, you know, investigating the, the grasshopper that's, uh, that's This is so along. crazy, Bill. You will bring this up because in my yoga class yesterday, that's exactly what I was talking about, how I'm learning so much. You look at a dog and they couldn't be more mindful and more in the moment. And especially, you know, with my, my street dogs, none of the dogs were ever complaining about the rough life on the streets, right? They were just right in the moment. They were just happy to get the food, to go on these walks. And then they never, never reflect. They never go back and, and, and uh, you know, play the victim or any of that. So so, so tell us about that a little bit. What, what, um... Are we recording? Yes. <laughs> we snuck up on you again. <laughs> you didn't hear Bill's radio voice. <laughs> well, I was. It's funny. By the way, this is all great. Uh, it's funny because I was. So I was telling Bill, our cat ran away Sunday afternoon for two and a half days. Was gone. Yes. Uh, I will just tell you that my family uh, did not give up, and we live in a big, wide, expansive area. So mm-hmm. I thought he took off. But my son laid out a little a little uh, sleeping area with a blanket and put my shoes out by there so he could smell something and mm-hmm. put some food. Anyway, it was fascinating how cats think when they run away and just animals in general. So anyway, not to go off subject, but that was my little training for our little conversation today, a little bit. No, this is totally on subject, by the way, because I uh, a lot sometimes, you know, we lose our rescues because we don't have a shelter. People board them. And sometimes a cat goes away or a dog goes away. And literally, you know, luckily I've been given the good fortune to be able to connect with their spirit and guide them back or see exactly where they are. And a lot of times um, I I tell my team, I tell my volunteers, like, you know, put a little area with a cloth, with your scent, a little bit of a food, and sure enough, the animal comes back. So you just have to kind of get into their mindset rather than our fearful state. You know, Ursula, can you talk a little bit more about your story about uh, going to Peru on your spiritual quest and how all of this transpired? Yes. So uh, in 2015, uh, as you probably know, I've been teaching uh, teaching yoga for a long time. There was something missing, like yoga wasn't enough for me. And... uh, since I was a kid, I always had this dream of going to the Amazon. So in 2015, I went to the Amazon, to the jungle, 
and went off grid completely for, for two weeks and I stayed with um, an indigenous family. And uh, I drank uh, all the plants that I could drink, you know, I worked with them and, and uh, I gained a lot of insight and respect and understanding of how things work. And uh, I emerged from the jungle and having this incredible clarity. And the first thing that I did, I went back to the nearest city, which is Iquitos. And uh, I was standing at the edge of the river by the railing and out of the blue, this very sick dog on basically on the verge of death was at my feet and I looked around and people are just going about their day you know having a great time on their cell phones and there I am with this dog that's in clear need of help and nobody is doing absolutely nothing and uh, I squatted down I petted his head and I could tell at that moment that it's been a very long time since anyone shown this this animal kindness this beautiful being and with his last strength, last bit of strength, because he was about to fall over, he lifted his paw. And I still remember this to this very, very day so clearly. He lifted his paw and put his paw, his mangy little red swollen paw, on my left knee. And there was that, that look in his eyes where he said, look, either put me out of my misery or help me. So I was still I was so touched by, by that moment. I went to the nearby restaurant and I bought him a... Um, like a chicken fried rice, and I pulled him out of the restaurant. Somehow I coaxed him to come uh, come to the restaurant, and I put the food out for him. And the restaurant owner basically asked me, why, why are you giving my food to the dog? And just gave, gave me a really, really hard time. And people looked at me with these loathful eyes. And I knew at that very moment that there has to be a lot more that needs to be done. So I literally had three hours before I was to board a plane to go back to L.A., and I, there was that moment where, like, what do I do? And I try to look around, try to find rescue organizations, try to find anyone who could help me, maybe just take the dog, and I would pay them money just to, to get the dog better until I can return. And I couldn't find anyone. I took photos. My battery was very, very low, and I couldn't take a video. But I took a bunch of photos, and I stayed with, with the dog, and by then I named him Charlie. Uh, I stayed with the dog for as long as I could. Then I had to go to the airport. And the whole time, you know, as I'm flying from Iquitos to L.A., I'm trying to plan, like, how am I going to get this dog off the street? Like, what is he, is he even going to make it? So I landed in L.A. It was a Monday morning. And that Monday, I literally, just like cold calling people on Facebook, I made up names like Juan Lopez or, you know, whoever I could, and then just put it in Iquitos. Like, you know how you have fa on Facebook you can do Iquitos-based search, like city-based search, based right. on names? And I did that, and I found a bunch of people living in Iquitos and uh, this woman named Tanith Peña. And I messaged her, and I said, look, find me this dog. I'll pay for the treatment, get this dog off the street, and I'll come back for him. So about two days went by, and I'm like, you know, literally chewing my nails. Is Charlie still alive? Is he okay? What's going on? And two days later, I get a message from Tanith with pictures of um, the capture of Charlie. And I'm going to probably end up a little tearful here. So Charlie was safe in, in Tanith's care. And he, I mean, literally, we just got there on time. And I'll never forget that, that moment, how, how happy and joyous I was that we got him. And the rest is history. I flew back in August. 
to pick him up. And by then I made the commitment that I will have all the street dogs in the city, all the street animals, including the cats. And I realized that the only solution will be sterilizing and also educating. Because what I saw is this incredible disconnection between humans and animals. And I, I, it's not like I have to teach them anything. I just have to connect them back to their self, to their spirit, spirit so un, they understand that every living being wants ex the exact same thing as we want, which is to thrive, to love. Isn't that so? I know an idea when I come home at night after a bad day, and I've dealt with a lot of, a few irrational people. I, I open the front door and my cat and dog are s sitting there staring at me, wanting unconditional love and attention. Yes. And it's pretty amazing. Tell me about the sense you get of helping animals versus humans and what, how that feels the same or different. It is different. Animals, when they are in need of help, they will allow you to help them. Yes, they might put up a little bit of a fight because they are not certain of your, what your approach is going to be because I'm talking about street animals. Um, right. They've been so abused and, and hurt by humans that they just have a difficult time trusting. There's that mistrust. But if you sit with them, you talk to them, I communicate with them, they are eventually, they put down the sword and they receive the help and they no longer fight. It's... Yeah, it's tied to that story, you know, uh, again, going back to these, this idea that animals live in the moment. Yes. Uh, and so, but humans, we have this story about our past or our future mm -hmm. or who we are or the pridefulness. The vic or the victimhood. Or it's the like, victimization mm -hmm. of ourselves, right, or blaming other people for our own, right? Whereas animals don't think in those abstract ways. So that presents an opportunity for us to learn from them. But what I did understand in working on the streets is that in order for the, the street animals' lives to improve, cat, dog, even wildlife, well, I have to educate them. I have to get through to them because otherwise the animal kingdom is pretty much doomed. So the second time I came back, um, I created these little street teams. So we would go to the barrios, to the low-income neighborhoods, and bring free veterinary services and an educational program that I created. And then it evolved into something bigger. So then we would do three, four-day campaigns and all this, you know, with volunteers. I would raise the money in L.A. And the next thing you know, I turned the whole thing into a nonprofit organization. And now we're doing large-scale sterilization campaigns, which was my goal. Because, again, as I said before, without sterilization, the suffering cannot stop on the streets. So how do you think Charlie has impacted your life? How, how do, what lessons did you learn from and are, are you learning from this experience? And how do you apply them to the way you live your life now as opposed to how you used to live your life? He changed my life completely. And he gave me perspective. And here's how, and it's, you know, I don't know if you know, but it wasn't only Charlie that came, then Annie came. Did you know about Annie? I, 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 I stalk you on Facebook. Oh, so. good. So you did. You did. You did. And both of them. You know Charlie, me and animals. Yes, so. good. Good. So Charlie and Annie right now, they're grinning at us from heaven. They're yeah. doing the like, high five. Now they're talking about us. So this is how they changed my life. So I looked at Charlie I looked at Annie, and I look at Gelsamina, my South, my South L.A. rescue. And Who is 17 years old. 17 years old and blind. 
And each and every single dog represents a specific quality in my life that I was lacking. And Charlie represented this kind of coolness, this suaveness, this, this idea is that, of that you don't have to do anything. You can just be, and you're cool. Yeah. So what I understood is that I actually don't have to be loud or flashy or anything like that. I can just be. And then when I looked at Annie, I, I was like, well, what does she represent? And she represented joy just to bring joy back into my life, this kind of, you know, just playfulness. And, and she just had this kind of sly thing in her eyes, and she was always up to something. So having the joy back in my life, and I looked at Galsamina, she represents commitment. And in our everyday world, if you look around, especially in L.A., most of us are pretty freaked out about commitment. Could you agree with me? Yes. Yeah. So whether it ties into, you know, getting taken on a job and people are like, oh, no, it's a two-year thing I can't do, or a relationship, I don't know if I could do, because oh. people, again, live in the future, right? Live in the future, projecting. But Gelsamina's teaching, you know, she taught me commitment. We, we've been together for 12 years. And every morning I wake up, and she taught me gratitude. It's very interesting to me that uh, you learn the, the learning lessons that came out of you going to the jungle yeah. and you know leaving the city and going there. And mm -hmm. I assume, and we can always edit this out, that you were, you know, drinking ayahuasca Ask it. or doing certain. Ask it. Yes, yeah. you don't have to edit it out. Like and, you, and yeah. Uh, yeah, and I was really fascinated by. I saw a news piece on sixty Minutes about how they were taking. Um, soldiers that, that did a tour of Afghanistan that PTSD and that were basically at the end of their road rope and yeah. they, and they sent them to Peru and it, they, they got better. But tell me about that experience. So what, what is it? So, uh, I was always seeking for some sort of a healing that, that I still couldn't find. Some of us who come from a lot of trauma, which I have and had some of us who come from kind of like misprogramming by the parents. Well, you know, it's it's interesting, and, I, and I'm just going to interject real quickly mm -hmm. here. Um, you know, it's almost like we're handed this owner's manual, and it's it's passed yeah. down from generation to generation mm -hmm. to generation. Mm -hmm. And we all say, oh, I need to tear some pages out of that mm -hmm. owner's manual. It doesn't work. But then we get into a relationship. We get married. Mm -hmm. We have kids. We get busy, and we don't have time. Mm -hmm. We don't have time to self-develop. Mm -hmm. And as a result, we just pass down the owner's manual. And sometimes mm -hmm. it is so... Um, imbued by ancestor and imbued by ancestral trauma and all that. Yes. Yeah, actually, I, I studied this and I worked with the medicine and it allowed me to open up to this whole new realm to shamanic healing, which I practice. So and shamanic, don't think drugs. People, when, when you say the word shaman, they think automatically something bad or drugs. No, it's a, the most beautiful, pure form of healing. I knew that I needed something more because I was one of those who meditation and yoga is not going to work. And uh, I read a lot about um, ayahuasca and the other healing plants. And I prepared for this journey for two years. Because, you know, sometimes in our Western society, we're like, I'm going to go and take something. I'm going to do it right now. But sometimes these things take serious preparation. And I wanted to Well, honor the quick fix, right? The I quick mean, we're fix. We're such a disposable yeah. quick mm -hmm. fix. Do it now. Let's get mm -hmm. rich quick. Mm -hmm. right? That's exactly our consciousness in the Western society is imbued exactly by that, by that mentality. So I was like, 
I'm just going to study as much as I can, learn as much as I can, prepare myself as much as I can for this journey. Took me two years plus the, you know, 15 years of yoga experience. And then I took myself, I researched everything. I found the people I wanted to work with. I went to the jungle and yes, I did drink the brew. And I did drink the brew, the ayahuasca or yage or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and yet in uh, Brazil, they call it yage. In uh, Peru, they call it ayahuasca. And I drank it quite a few times for those two weeks. And I'm not going to lie to you. It was the most gruesome, painful experience I've ever experienced. However, I, w- I felt like after the first one, I was reborn after the first ceremony. And then the second or third one was all about just continue peeling away the layers that you build uh, around you and the ego itself. So you basically, the ego is ripped out, the trauma, the suffering, and it sheds light onto why you are the way you are. After two weeks, it just really gave me, when I talked to you about earlier, about the ego's point of view, you rise above all your problems, you rise above your life, you look down, and the plant basically points out each area that you need work on, and she, we call her, it's a female plant, um, it sheds light on the way you can heal those areas. So that's my two cents on that one, and I actually work with another medicine, meaning I'm a practitioner of it, it's called Kambo. You probably heard about it, frog medicine. Is that where, is that where you lick the frog? Uh, that's, that's the frog, yes. Yes, <laughs> okay. that's the frog. We went, we went to, to trap frogs, and we rubbed the frogs back to get the toxins. And then we burned little holes on the skin, and then we ingest the toxin into the skin. And it's a complete reset for the immune system. It's known to cure any kind of viral infection, liver problems, herpes, HIV, and actually a lot of scientists are working, are working with this medicine now just to try to isolate and figure out what is the thing in combo toxin, the frog medicine, that cures. Okay, it's pretty obvious you're amazing. Let's just put Thank you... you. <laughs> And we'll put you let's and talk Bill. about the dogs. Let's now, talk. About the- <laughs> let's put you and Bill in that box. You know, oh, being amazing. Very kind. Yeah. But for people who are listening, yeah. and they say, "Oh wow, she's superhuman," and she went to Peru, and you know, she yeah. had the issues that she, you know, was able to do this, and mm. she rescued a dog, and you've done all these amazing things. What, what advice would you give them? Like, what would their takeaway be from listening to your story? Um. I want them to open their eyes to the miracle and the magic that life is. And one doesn't need to go to Peru to find that. But I believe, you know, in my situation, travel was an integral part. Going back to nature doesn't have to be travel to Peru. Go to Joshua Tree. Go to the giant sequoias. Sit down at the base of that tree and let the tree and the earth talk to you and reconnect. Because in the old ancient like shamanic traditions, and until to this very day, you know, if you go, if you go to the Navajo, every 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 tribe will tell you, sit down and soak in the energy of Mother Earth and let that recalibrate you. Because again, in our modern society, Western civilization, we're all about, for the most part, most of us, bigger, better, faster. Uh, stuff the American dream, get the house, get the fast cars, get nine cars, the motorcycle. We're seeking outside rather than seeking within and reconnecting to the earth. 
the average person saying, okay, I have a 40 hour a week job. I can't get away. I love what I'm hearing. I, I just don't think I can do that. And that answer you just gave was very simple, which is we all can reconnect with, with nature. We all can reconnect with the earth. We can all put our phones down. Absolutely. Take 100%. A, take, take, take a walk in the woods, breathe, you know, and just look at your surroundings and you can do that. You know, Anywhere. even if you live in a city, you can find that and, you know, fairly close to you. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. If you look at, cause I go to Runyon quite a bit, but I choose. Runyon Canyon is a, uh, is in Los Angeles. It's a, it's a hike that, uh, a very popular hiking spot for those of you who don't live here. And it's out in nature. Yes. So, um, yeah, I go to Runyon, but I stopped going because when I'm noticing that people on the hiking paths, just as Steve said, they're on their phones rather than being in the moment and listening to that little uh, red tail hawk making the, the, the mating sound. Rather than being immersed in nature, they're still immersed in technology and into their, you know, stress-filled life. So what I decided, I'm just going to go ahead and branch out and find all these cool little hikes that are hidden um, in L.A. where there are not that many people on their phones. And I found them and they're magic. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, uh, Ursula and Steve, um, our podcast is named Unsung Leaders. And mm -hmm. on the surface, we think, oh, it's all about putting down the selfie stick uh, and not going for popularity. But what you, you actually, having you on the show sheds a different angle, uh, a different bit of light on the title because it's not about, it's more about erasing the story we tell ourselves about ourselves to get back mm -hmm. to the basics. And we can mm -hmm. do that, like you said, through nature and through animals and through mm -hmm. connecting and creating community. And you've done such a great, your chance encounter with Charlie, which was just about you and Charlie, has mm -hmm. blossomed into this whole movement uh, mm -hmm. for the people uh, of Iquitos, of Iquitos yep. and the way you're changing their minds and changing mm -hmm. the way they perceive their surroundings. And we all have that ability to affect each other. And that's really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. If, if, if I look at my last uh, campaign, which was actually two weeks ago, I just came back from Peru two weeks ago. And I organized this large-scale sterilization campaign. It, it took me two months. And mind you, I do this. Ev I do everything alone. You know, when when I'm able to to gather together 30 volunteers from the city, 30 youth, the, the youth comes together to help our my cause because they realize it's their cause. It's the animals in their city. So when you do that, then when I'm actually able to meet with the mayor of the city of Berlin, where I work. And the mayor ensures us of his support that he'll give us the location for our next campaign. That was not the case four years ago. The fact that there are eight youth-led groups that are all about, well, we're going to feed the street animals and we're going to try to help them. That is all Charlie. Charlie's story inspiring. And of course, you know, I could take credit for it and say, like, it's all me because they saw my videos. It's not that. It's the idea what's behind it. And it wasn't only Charlie that we rescued. I mean, over a hundred animals pulled off the streets, over a thousand treated and helped. I mean, it's pretty, pretty magical. And what you're that. talking about is purposeful living, right? 100%. And you know, that's interesting. Um, you, you brought up and, and how, how I mentioned that Charlie changed my life for many, many years. Uh, I'm in my forties now. 
um, in case you people wanted to do the math, like how old is this broad? Um, for many years, I spent this life, my life, in the idea of victim for victimhood, and I always blamed blamed my my background. Oh, I was born and raised in a small village in Romania. Mom and dad were fighting. Dad was full-blown alcoholic. I lost my dad. All that victimhood, you know, that was my identity. It doesn't matter what my past is. What is my present? What is, is it that I do right now? And what's the blueprint that I create for others for the embetterment of all? Well, I think uh, you are absolutely the definition of an unsung leader, and hopefully uh, our chat this morning, all of us, um, has helped people understand the power of intention, the power of purpose, and the power of community. Yeah, I only wish the animals that you've helped over the years could go on their Instagram pages and say how much they love you. (laughs) As they're hiking Fryman Canyon. Maybe. We should, we should start social media accounts for animals and project what we think they're thinking about all the good things some people have done for them. I think that's brilliant. I, th- I think that's brilliant. Dog Facebook. Dog Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Or what I do, actually, um, a lot of times when I go back to my campaigns, I always visit every dog that we rescued and got adopted out. I have follow-up visits, and uh, you can just see how grateful they are. They all remember me, and it's just, you know, to me, it's the most amazing thing that, that to, see, to see that you were able, you were a part of giving a chance and giving a life. If people want to know more about the work that we do, they can go on projectstreetdog.com. And our Instagram feed is at projectstreetdog. It's pretty, pretty simple. And uh, I'd like everybody to get ready for the documentary because I shot about 400 hours of footage of all the work we've done for four years. And um, it's called Street Dog. So hopefully next year we were able to to get it together and put it out there. Well, keep going. That's just... uh such a brilliant thing to do and uh it just makes so much sense i think on every level and uh it's true there's nothing better in the world than uh, a, a wagging tail uh to greet you so or two or, tails. Two, or or a little <laughs> cat that rubs up rubs up against your leg when you come home right steve now that you got your cat back uh yes i mean they, yes. The, the, the animals love unconditionally yeah and uh that's the beauty of them and they don't ask for credit cards. <laughs> if I have one more second, you know, a lot of times people ask me, well, why are you doing it in Peru? Why are not you not doing it here? Because that's where I met Charlie, and I've never seen devastation amongst the animal kingdom at the level that I've seen in that city. And there are already people doing a lot of fantastic work in the U.S. to help our animals here, right? But there was nobody doing that in the city of Iquitos. So that's why I'm there, to give them, to show them a formula, to give them a blueprint. And to remind them about compassion. Absolutely, 100%. I'm doing it for Mother Earth. I'm doing it for you, Bill. I'm doing it for your dog. Steve, I'm doing it for you, for your cats, and for your kids. Well, you're setting a great example, and uh, this is what Bill and I set out to do this. Uh, We selfishly wanted to be inspired by the stories we heard, and I certainly have been this morning, so thank you. Oh, no, thank you so much for the time, you guys. Thank you, Ursula. Thank you. That's it. And so uh, for Unsung Leaders, I'm Bill Benson with... 
Ursula Vari, uh, the Project Street Dog uh, nonprofit, and uh, Steve Mosco. Thanks for listening to Unsung Leaders. This podcast both showcases and is made possible through the talents of many people. And on that note, we'd like to know about the unsung leaders in your life. Those people that have pulled together to create something that has positively impacted you or made a difference in your community. Our mission is to provide the inspirational stories of society's team players. So please nominate the team players in your life to potentially become guests on our show. By logging on to www.unsungleaders.com, you may be giving us all the opportunity to hear their stories and learn from their contributions. And speaking of contribution, we'd like to sing the praises of the Unsung Leaders team. Da-da-da-da. Our producer and sound engineer, Josh Fisher. Production facilities provided by Embassy Row. With a special shout-out to Shannon Hawes Perry, who oversees our experience here and makes it very easy for all of us. Teaming up to make a difference.